way I can kind of see everybody. Because I know Brian usually sits behind and makes faces and rabbit ears and all kinds of stuff like that. Awesome, awesome. So we're going to touch for a moment on each of the scriptures today. But before we do that, this is Memorial Day weekend. And I know sometimes there's a lot of, or sometimes there's a little bit of confusement. Some people think it's just another Veterans Day. Um, so uh, sometimes people will thank you f if you've been in the military they'll thank you for your service on Memorial Day and so forth but that's not what Memorial Day is uh, Memorial Day is that day and that weekend we remember those that have died and um, if we look at all of the wars our country has been in it's a little over a million people have given their life um, and I think they've given their life not just for our nation and for our freedoms, but for the billions of people around the world that live in free societies today. Amen? And um, I, I share just a very brief story with you, because um, I think for some of us, it, it can be real, you know, if you've ever had a chance to go to like the Vietnam Memorial or, or really any of the war memorials in Washington, D.C. and um, it kind of brings that to mind but a number of years ago uh, when I was a middle school teacher I had an opportunity to go with to take a group of students from Hawaii to um, Washington DC and one of the things that we did is we went to Arlington Cemetery and there was a young man in, in my class that's father had been killed in Iraq and was buried at Arlington. And so we brought some flowers with us and it took us a while to find his grave because it's a big place if you've ever been to Arlington. Um, and I think for that, for me that day I just realized how much these families have lost and I would just urge you tomorrow to say a prayer for them. Um, this young man, the last time he had been there, he was five years old. So he didn't remember. He didn't remember his dad. Um, and I think initially he was just horribly embarrassed, as most eighth graders would be if they were the subject of attention. But because they knew I was a pastor, they asked me to say a prayer and we laid some flowers on his grave and I just realized just what that family had lost. He lost his father. He never really will know his father. Um, and I think that we need to remember those sacrifices are very real. That somebody's husband or wife, that somebody's son or daughter, a million plus to give us the things that we enjoy today. And one of those things we're doing right now, right? The freedom to worship God. The freedom to worship God. So, um, in my favorite quote of last week, the Prime Minister of England was asked what he learned from all this COVID-19 thing so far. And he said, I quote, I have learned that it's much easier to take people's freedom than it is to give it back. 
Alright, so today we are in this interesting Sunday, the seventh Sunday of Easter. And I like it to, how many of you like shows that they tend, they, they like to do flashbacks? In fact, Melissa and I are watching a show right now that our daughter sent us, and they do a lot of flashbacks. So, you know, you're, you're kind of in the scene, the presence, and then all of a sudden you flash back to the past, and it's something that connects to what you're watching. Um, for me, I'm a little bit slow, and sometimes I kind of lose that. I'm like, are, are we in one of those flashback moments, and what's going on here? Um... That's kind of what we have today uh, with the Gospel reading. So on Thursday, the church celebrated the Feast of the Ascension. Jesus ascends. He's walked with people. He's eaten with them. We're gonna, we don't have a lot of recorded teachings for that period, which is kind of interesting. Um, but today, we come back to a prayer that Jesus prayed shortly before the crucifixion, as far as if we're going to go with the timeline that, that John has it laid out. And it, and it does look to be um, that that's what happened. Okay? Because if we look at a few verses before, Jesus is telling them the fact that he's going he's gonna to be crucified. And... He tells them right before he says this prayer I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace in this world you will have trouble but take heart I have overcome the world and so he, t he gives them he tells them hey here shortly you're going to have grief and you're going to have sorrow like you've never known these people had given up everything to follow him. And even though he's told them multiple times that it's, it's not from an earthly standpoint, it's not going to end well, right? He's going he's gonna to be crucified. He actually tells them he's going to be crucified. He doesn't maybe use that particular word, but he tells them he's going to be hung on a tree. He tells them all these things are going to happen to him. He's going to be betrayed. They still kind of struggle with that, as I probably think most of us would. And we have the wonderful blessing of hindsight, right? We get to know the whole story. Or maybe not the entire whole story, right? Because we're still waiting for that return of the Lord. But he says to them, you're going to have horrible sorrow, and then you're going to have great joy. Okay? And so he's telling them, he's kind of telling them, and then he praises this prayer, this fascinating prayer, where first he asks the Father that he would be glorified. Now, one of the hard things for us to accept in the Orthodox Church, they see the crucifixion as part of the glory of Christ, right? And in fact, this Sunday, this seventh Sunday, the Orthodox Church celebrates the Nicene Creed, okay? Um, because that is in that, it is in that creed where the church defends who Christ is, that he's fully God and fully man, right? Because there was a lot of debate going on in the early church. I mean, Paul addresses a lot of that, and the church had to deal with that. Okay, and so this Sunday is remembered as when the church finally put that to bed and said, you know what? He is God. He is God incarnate. He existed from 
for entirety. He was there at the beginning. All things are created in Him and through Him. Okay? And so in this prayer, Jesus first talks about His relationship to the Father, right? And we see that unity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then He prays for first the apostles, and then He prays for us. Right? All those that are going to come, all those that are going to believe. And I am getting somewhere with this, I promise. Okay. I want to pull out a couple of the things that he prays in, in just a moment. This sermon actually kind of started last Sunday, uh, the sermon that Father Mark preached. He had a line in there that he stated and it just really struck me and all week long I've been thinking about it. I've been thinking about it as I read these scriptures and that line was simply this. The church cannot become invisible. The church cannot become invisible. I would think if anything this period of time that we've gone through that is the challenge, isn't it? But I want to add a question to that. What should the church look like and what is the church's job in this season. Okay? What should the church look like and what is the church's job in this season? And someone might say, well, the church's job is always to make God known. Right? To give praise to God. To make God known to the world around us. And so, how do we make God known? Well, interestingly enough, in the psalm for today, the 68th psalm, we have some pretty good clues of what God is like. Now, there's a lot of stuff in that psalm that we could struggle with. There's some punishment of enemies and the unrighteous and some things like that. But here's some of the things that the 68th Psalm tells us. It says in the 5th verse that God is a father to the fatherless. And I think of that young man um, that lost his father in the Iraq war. In the 6th verse, it tells us God is there for the solitary. And I remember in James, it tells us that true love, true religion, is to look after widows and orphans, right? To care for the solitary. In the 7th verse, the psalm tells us that God binds up sinners and sets them free. Wow, some of us have experienced that directly in our lives. In the ninth verse it said that God sends rain and refreshes the earth. In the tenth verse it says that He provides for the poor. In the twelfth verse it says that He is the defender of His people. And finally, in the 19th through 20 verse, 20th verses, it says that He blesses and brings salvation. In this morning's Gospel, Jesus prays two specific things for his apostles and also for us later on. 
While I was with them, I protected them and kept them, kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except one doomed to destruction, so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy with them. I have given them your word, and the word world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. And my prayer for them is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me, and I am in you. And again, he will repeat that prayer, the prayer for unity within the church. And so I want to suggest to you, We have two tendencies, I believe, in the church. One right now is to kind of be invisible, and I think that's been kind of forced on the church, hasn't it? You can't meet, you can't do this or that. And yet, if you look statistically right now on what's going on in the world, there's a lot of concern even by doctors, even by these healthcare professionals, that are saying there is a greater danger right now for isolation, for suicide, for drug and alcohol abuse, for um, spousal abuse. Because of all of this isolation, as human beings we were not created, right, to live in isolation. Jesus says, he prays for the unity of the church. He prays for the unity of all those that will come into the faith because of the gospel that goes out. And yet the other tendency of the world, the church today sometimes can be to separate ourselves and to isolate ourselves. There was a pastor by the name of Chester Wenger. Um, he was a Mennonite pastor. I don't know if you know anything about the Mennonites. Uh, Mennonites are some interesting folks, especially if you live in, the, in uh, the middle part of the country. And now where Melissa was from, there was a Mennonite group there. In fact, they had this dairy we used to love to go to because they had the most insane chocolate milk and ice cream in the world. It was just so rich. You know, you could go there and actually get the, you could still buy milk in the glass jars and stuff, you know. They're old school. We'll just call them old school. Well, the Mennonites are known for a couple of things. They're known for their sense of community. So if you think of like things you may have seen in the movies where, you know, the, the farmer's barn will burn down and the whole community will come together and while the men are erecting this huge new barn in a day, um, the, the women are cooking all day long and then they have this incredible feast afterwards. I don't know if you've ever seen any of movies. Um, but those were the Mennonites, right? They were also very, very, very much 
traditionalist, very, very much traditionalist. I mean, men had to have beards and, and the, the whole nine yards. Well, Chester Wenger was a Mennonite pastor and he had a problem. His son grows up and becomes more and more and more distant from the family and he just longs for his son. I think of the picture of the prodigal son. Who, who of us hasn't been the prodigal son or prodigal daughter? He longs for his son. He tries to reach out to him. And his son moves away from the faith and at one point he does have an opportunity to be with the son. I think it was at a funeral and and he says to his son, he kind of cries out to his son, son, I know there are problems, there are issues, and his son reveals to him that he's gay. And that he knows that his church rejects him and doesn't want to do anything with him and sees him as the enemy and his son cries out to him as he leaves, don't give up on Jesus. And the father struggles with that. And finally comes to the point where he begs his son to come home. That he still loves him, that he hasn't given up on him, and he does. And the community rejects him and isolates him. They tell him he no longer can be a pastor. And he writes an open letter that much of the world has come to know. You may have even read parts of it. Where he outlines something called a generous orthodoxy. In which he never lets go of the truths of the church. But he realizes in his son that the greater calling that the church has is to unity even when we have disagreements, even when we struggle sometimes with what Scripture is telling us. It seems to me that there is a lot of disunity in the church today. A lot of back and forth because the one place that we probably haven't isolated, which we probably should, is social media. And the media in general. And really the picture that the church is called to put forth is the unity of all believers that we stand together no matter what. Even if we may disagree, even if I think, wow, the Bible's pretty clear that homosexuality is wrong, homosexuality is wrong, it's a sin. And I do believe that. But I still believe that we're called to love first and foremost. And that's really all that Chester Wagner stated and came to believe and see. The beginning of March, you may have read in the news that the Samaritan's Purse, and that's Billy Graham's son, Franklin Graham's ministry now, was asked to come to New York City to bring their field hospital. You see, they had brought their field hospital to an area of Italy that had experienced a lot of coronavirus deaths and they responded very, very quickly. 
Cedars-Sinai Hospital had actually been the one that contacted and asked, and they actually set up their field hospital right in their parking lot. A lot of times the news said it was Central Park, but it wasn't. It was actually the parking lot of Cedars-Sinai Hospital. And they began to minister to people to take care of them. It didn't matter what your faith was. It didn't matter what you believed. It didn't matter what your... What do we call it now? I don't even know what your identity was. It didn't matter what your sexual orientation was. They just ministered. And if you wanted prayer, they were there for prayer. Well, within a couple of days, there were protesters on the outskirts protesting, saying, why would we let these haters into New York? But the real truth was, the people that were cared for and the people that worked in that hospital said they couldn't have been more gracious. They never felt judged. They never felt, no matter, there were never any questions about whether or not they would care for a particular person. That they came there to express the love of God through physical service to those people. And although the world might see them as hatred, because you see, that is one of the differences. And that should be one of the differences between the church and the world. Have you ever noticed that most people in the world cannot understand why you would care for your enemy or someone you disagree with. The church is called to love unconditionally. And that has to start right here. In Peter's letter today, if we would have read the very next verse, he says that judgment begins with the household of God. Right? And the words before Peter tells us, hey, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to be misunderstood. But stand together. And the very last verse of that prayer that Jesus prays, I have made you known to them. And will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. James writes a letter to the church and we all know this pretty well. It's an interesting letter. Because in the fourth chapter, he warns us on being too much friends with the world. You see, I think sometimes we misunderstand that and we want to isolate. We want to say, hey, we're going to point fingers back at the world. We're going to draw into our little enclave and defend. But that's not really what James is saying. Because in the third chapter, he says, we all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man able to keep his whole body in check. How many of us can claim that? I can't. And then he says in the ninth verse, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. 
Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing, my brothers, they should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. You see, although the world may not understand our love, we must be willing to stand together. It's no surprise that the world couldn't understand how Samaritan's Purse would come into a community that obviously many, many people held very, very different beliefs and antithetical beliefs and how they would come and love them without question Without cost. It cost millions of dollars for Samaritan's Purse to do that, and they asked for nothing. The world still saw them as an enemy because they stood for a specific truth, but they did it in love, and that is our calling. We cannot expect the world to love us. They will always know that we believe something to be true. But our job is not to judge and to point fingers. Our job is to hold on to our beliefs, to stand united, and to love unconditionally. That's what Chester Wagner did for his son. He loved his son despite his brokenness and his fallenness. And is it really that each and every one of us is experience of the Father? That He loved us even while we were broken. He loved us unconditionally. He went to a cross for us, which is nothing but a scandal to the world. So let us love scandalously. And let us stand united. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.